0: Welcome to the Innovation and Technology Management Seminar Series, hosted by the Engineering Management Program in the Pratt School of Engineering at Duke University. My name is Jeff Glass and I'm the Faculty Director for the Engineering Management Program. The purpose of our seminar series is to introduce engineers and scientists to various business and management concepts that they will find useful throughout their careers. Speakers represent a diverse array of industries from finance and information technology to materials processing and biotechnology. If you'd like to learn more about the engineering management program at Duke, including these podcasts and any associated audiovisual materials that are sometimes available, please visit our website at memp.duke.edu. Thanks for your interest in our series, and please do not hesitate to contact us with suggestions or questions. Roy Pugzeba is currently Senior Vice President and Principal in Charge of the Raleigh Office of Bovis Lend Lease, a global provider of construction services. Mr. Pogzeba is a 1974 graduate of the University of Florida with a degree in building and construction and has been involved in over five billion dollars of public and private projects throughout his 33-year career. He will be sharing management wisdom derived from his extensive experience in the construction industry. Thanks. All right, <clears throat> I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I know that it's 4.30, I thought it was a little bizarre to have a class at 4.30. Uh, because it just is. It's late. It's a long day, and so I'm going to try and make it so that we keep this a little bit light, and we keep it a little bit lighthearted, and not get too deep into things. Uh, what I'd like for y'all to do is everybody look at the people that you're sitting around. Look to the right. Look to the left. to turn on the mic. Yeah, that one? Sorry, is it on? Is it on? Can y'all hear me? Alright, Have every, you guys have looked at each other, and let me just make a clarification. When I say guys, I mean guys and girls, alright? So let's just make sure that we've got that straight. And so now I want everybody to kind of focus on me and look at me, and other than the fact that I probably weigh more than most of you, what's the major difference between uh, everybody in the audience and myself? Better dressed? Okay, that's not the answer I'm looking for. Pardon? What about age? Age. Yeah, what about it? Like I'm younger? (laughs) Like I'm younger? Okay, I'm not younger. No, forget. No, you were close. I'm not younger. I'm older. There you go. Very good. You know what, I can tell that you guys are graduate students, and so that's the right answer. There's five bucks. <laughs> All right, here's the deal. I'm here to provide a little value to your lives. Some of the value is going to come through different things, and some of it's going to come through the presentation. It's a beautiful day outside, and I really would appreciate it if none of you go to sleep. There's a $5 charge if you snooze. If you feel sleepy, you had a long night last night, and you're a little sleepy and you're not sure, get your five dollars out and put it on the table because I'll collect it. (laughs) And there is, I am older, and so I'm gonna give you a little bit different perspective on the business and life from what you may have right now. I am a 1974 graduate from the University of Florida. Uh, We are playing in the Final Four. I enjoy being in basketball country, uh, but I think it's ironic that nobody from the ACC is in there. But I know that always doesn't happen that way. When I was a junior, I had a strength of materials class, and the professor looked at us. There were no women in the class at that time, and he said, "Ben, he said, I've made a decision, and I've thought about it a long time, and I'm designing all of my tests to be used with the calculator." So you need to get rid of your slide rules, and you need to buy a calculator. That stroked me out, because at that time, the minimum wage was around $1.60 or $1.70 an hour. I'm given plasma twice a week and making 12 bucks to supplement my income, because my parents were poor, and I was just stretched financially. And everybody that had calculators paid three or 400 bucks for one of these uh, Texas instruments or HPs. Luckily, I found at Sears, thank goodness for Sears, for $119, I got a calculator that you could add, subtract, multiply, and divide. So for those of you, how many of you have computers? I already know. That's what I had when I was in college, and I was tickled to death to have the calculator. So I've seen a lot of change in the business. We may touch on that a little bit. What I'd like to do, if you have questions while, are you going to sleep? Get your money out. <laughs> uh, you know if you have questions while we go through this, please ask. I want this to be interactive. I do have a set of slides. If our thing goes off in a different direction, I can I can channel it back so that we finish up. I promise I won't be longer than four hours. Uh, was that the time? And uh, then you guys can go out and go to bed. Any questions before we get started? All right. Boas Lend-Lease continues to be the leader in providing construction-related services here in North Carolina, across the U.S., and throughout the world. And based on that slide, why are we the leader? Pardon? No. What is it that makes us the leader? Yes. Do you recognize the importance of recruiting hiring the Very good. I'm telling you. Reading though, you only get a dollar. It all comes down, it all comes down to people. Today we're going to talk a little bit about who we are. We're going to talk a little bit about industry expectations, how we get selected. We're going to talk about expectations of new employees. We may talk about functional roles and responsibilities, and we're going to talk about challenges of employees when you first get into a large company and we're gonna spend some time talking about it. And like I said, if you have questions, raise your hand and then we'll take care of that. Uh, we are a global company. As you can see from up here, we have 7,500 professionals across the globe, 93 offices across 40 countries. And our office, uh, we have regional offices in New York, London, Singapore, and Sydney. And that, just, that map gives you an idea of where we are uh, within the globe. In the Americas, we're in uh, North and South America. We've got 21 offices. We do have an office here in Raleigh. We also have another office in Charlotte. Some of the global projects that we've done, and I'm just gonna show a few. This is the Bank of America in Shanghai People's Republic of China. Uh, To the right is Price Waterhouse Cooper's Tower in New Zealand. Uh, Right now, here in the Americas, we're doing the Allure. We're about 80% complete on that project. Uh, Any of you have heard of the Bellagio? That was one of our projects. Uh, The one on the right is Trump Tower in Chicago. That is a rendering. We're not complete. We're about 60 stories up on the frame. The thing that makes us uh, dynamic as an organization is the fact that we truly believe in collaboration and teamwork. Great organizations, and we're working on becoming great, I won't say that we're great, I think that we're good, work on collaboration. We do most of Donald Trump's work in New York. Our our president and CEO is more apt to get a phone call from Donald Trump on a Sunday morning about a concern that he has that he has from anybody else. When Donald Trump decided to go to Chicago, he wanted us to do that, but our guys in Chicago wasn't really familiar with all the things that were important to the Trump organization. Do you guys remember the uh, First Apprenticeship uh, show? Uh, that was at least in my lifetime. That part, one of those one of those guys that was on that show is their manager for this project in Chicago. Our, our people in Chicago, uh, New York basically helped our boys in Chicago get the project started got through the design stage, provided value engineering, uh, budgeting, and then got them off to a good start and the Chicago office is doing it. Here's some of the projects we're doing in Raleigh. Uh, This is Cypress of Raleigh, which is in North Raleigh. It's a $75 million uh, CCR continuing care retirement community. Uh, Right below it is Creekside Residential and Apex. This is a wood frame residential uh, project This is not our typical product type. We had a developer that was in Washington, D.C. that worked with our D.C. office that begged us to do the job. We really didn't want to do it. We're finishing up six months ahead of schedule. In that case, the folks from uh, D.C. came down. They helped us. They helped us get the job set up. They gave us some tips. We collaborated through it. The project team's done an excellent job. Uh, On panel C, uh, this uh, this is Keller 2E. This is another one of our expansions we actually have structural steel up right now. Right below, we're on our uh, second phase of of, uh, Perkins Library. To the right is the uh, Home Depot Smart House. Here, how many of you are familiar with that? Okay, Ashley, uh, stand up Ashley, came to work with us last May. I will tell you what I'm especially proud to just briefly tell them about the Smart House. foot uh, two-story with a basement dormitory, uh, housing space for 10 students, uh, incorporate some of those innovative uh, green building technology available, uh, the green roof, the solar hot water heating system, the you know rainwater retention system, photovoltaic panels. Uh, right now we're roughing in all the MEP equipment and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was for me, not <laughs> for <laughs> you. <Projects. laughs> Uh, what I'm proud of about Ashley is Ashley joined us uh, full time after she graduated last May. We really had a competitor working on that project. They were struggling trying to get it to budget. Ashley was pretty instrumental in getting us back into the picture, and so we appreciate that. But it, it shows when you graduate, um, you know. In some cases, it's the relationships that you have that help you get work, and Ashley's out there responsible for getting the job built, and we're proud of her. Uh, Duke Data Center uh, is just starting construction. I think we chased 14 different uh, facilities we did budget pricing on until the university decided where they wanted the data center. At one point in time, we felt like we were gonna do every building on campus to do feasibility studies, but luckily, uh, they finally decided on which one they wanted. Uh, panel A is ECU Cardiovascular Institute. This is for Dr. Chipwood. I know a lot of you uh, probably have specific thoughts about East Carolina University. It's just because you're Dukies. But I will tell you that this facility is really set up as a working lab. Dr. Chipwood is specializing on robotics for cardiovascular surgeries. And he will be able, when the facility is done, He will be able to basically, as I explain it, sit with his Nintendo set and be able to do surgeries remotely in Brazil, Africa, or anywhere across the world where there are comparable robotic sets, uh, which is pretty spectacular. Uh, Down on panel B is PPD headquarters in Wilmington. Uh, It's a $75 million office tower. Had a great relationship with them. They asked us to do the parking deck on a design-build basis. Up above. That brown building, we really can't show you inside, is EMC. We've done about seven projects for them. To the right on panel uh, E is Biogen IDEC. Uh, This is a facility, and again, no inside pictures, where they take uh, mold and petri dishes and create good medicine to save lives. And then down in North Myrtle Beach, we're doing Tillman Beach and Golf Resort, which is a uh, high-rise condominium. The... uh, How many of you understand the difference between pre-construction and construction? Other than pre-construction, when we're in pre-construction, we're basically working with the owner and the design team, and we're helping them and the design team to stay on track budget-wise so that the owner gets as much program space and all the bells and whistles that they want in their facility and be able to stay on track budget-wise. These are some of the projects we have in pre-construction. Uh, at the top is the, at UNC, is the Bell Tower Project. It's 160 million. Panel B is WRAL, their studio's downtown. The Soleil Center over in Glentree uh, is probably gonna start construction this summer. It's 47 stories. Our Chicago office is helping us with pre-con uh, because they do a lot of high-rise. There's not too many high-rises in Raleigh, so we're getting some help and collaboration from them. Over on the right is at NC State, it's a vet hospital. And then in uh, panel E is the uh, Diamond View 2 and 3 and Magnum Street Park and deck, which is all over at the Durham Bulls Bulls, uh, complex. These are some of the projects that we've done at Duke. Uh, We're very appreciative of the uh, relationship that we have here on campus as well as at the medical center. You can look through those projects there. We've been out here for 12 years continuously, uh, and we value Duke quite a bit for that. We do do uh, a lot of higher ed projects. The reason why we do is a lot of them are a little more sophisticated, higher-end labs, research facilities, we like that. We also do the uh, the class B uh, stick-built residential projects, which you saw, and office buildings, but we're proud of the uh, higher ed experience that we have. Now let me ask you a question. There's no money here, but how many of you have um, any interest in dating anybody else? <laughs> okay. What do you look for in a girl? <laughs> keep it clean, and we gotta keep. We gotta run through here. There's. Um, <laughs> I guess someone who can take care of me. Okay. What about you? Um, character. Character. Uh, personality. Personality. Yeah, liars. I was thinking that. What about you? Smiling eyes. Sm- Smiling eyes. I'm married. I'm done
1: looking. Okay.
0: Yeah, off the market. All right. Let's go. Uh, I don't want to pick on just one side. What about you two guys? Branch of security and sense of humor. Okay. What about you? Uh, I'm a butt kind of guy. Okay, a butt kind of guy. Now we're getting down to some truth. All right. Gals, what about you? What do you three look for in guys? Oh, personality. Personality. I think sense of humor. Sense of humor. I don't look for anything. Okay, good. <laughs> what about you? Be um, happy when we here. Okay. What about you? Uh, I like to talk. Okay. <laughs> and what about you? Oh, sense of humor. Sense of humor. Okay. Most of you had different things that you were looking for. Uh, when I was your age, I was looking for I like I love tall blondes. My wife, who I've been married to for 25 years, is five foot tall and she's a brunette, <laughs> and I wouldn't trade her for anything in the world. But what we heard is a lot of different things that we're looking for. A lot of different, lot of different, uh, either physical attributes or character. I will tell you that I was at another school sometime back in this same topic came up and I asked the same question. And it was a building construction program and there was one female in there and she was as honest as could be. I said, what do you look for in a guy? She said, somebody that's not an idiot. And I said, well, you've got it figured out. (laughs) Owners look for different things. Uh, Now, whether you're uh, an engineering firm, construction firm, any other kind of firm, there's gonna be variations on this. Some owners look for low price. In the construction business, they may hard bid that project, meaning they have a completed set of drawings and specs, they put it out, they go get five or six general contractors to bid it, and whoever's low gets the job, as long as they can provide us payment performance bonds, which is a form of guarantee to the owner. Other companies may look for best value. Those are the kind of uh, of owners we target because that's what we really specialize on. We get in there during the, uh, the design stage. We work with the owner and the architect. We try and create that best value so at the end of the day, the owner gets what he wants. You know, we cover everything while we're working through the design. Some firms may look for schedule. When we were doing the Cisco projects, right before the tech bubble, Cisco was more concerned about getting space. We built 17 facilities for them on their campus. They weren't as concerned about the price. They weren't as concerned about quality. They needed space. Now, mind you, they didn't want to pay a fortune and they didn't want garbage at the end of the day, but they were more concerned about getting space. There's other owners that say, I don't care how much it costs, I don't care how long it takes, I'm interested in quality. I want the high quality, that's all that I care about. Other owners may say, relationship. Uh, I don't really care that much, I care about price, but I want to deal with somebody that I trust the trust and the relationship is more important to them. Some companies are interested in safety. They wanna know, are you gonna be safe? These are primarily companies that are in existing industrial plants, pharmaceutical plants, Safety is a big issue for them. Other companies uh, are interested in hub utilization, which is historically underutilized businesses. And then other companies may have some desire for some special expertise or whatever. Now, most of the time, And just like what we heard through, it's not gonna be one thing, all right? It's not gonna be, like in my case, a blonde or somebody that's tall. I wanted a tall blonde. It's usually not just personality, and it's usually not just um, looks. Uh, There was a body part that was thrown out. I'm sure there's other attributes that, if it went the other way, you wouldn't be interested and it's the same way with an owner. It's usually some combination of items, and so that you have to figure out what combination of items is that owner looking for so that you can try and capture that business. When you're an owner and you're in the construction business, you have to understand that there's certain challenges that an owner has so that you can try and service that owner. This would also apply uh, if you're an engineering firm When you look at a a private developer, for example, uh, your construction cost may be one item in a long page of items that you have to contend with in order to be able to get your deal done. It could be half. It could be half of your total cost is tied up in construction. There's all these other things that you have to be able to do to determine what your total cost is. It's just like when you buy a house. You've got furniture, blinds, possibly fence. You've got moving costs. You have all these other expenses outside of just the actual cost of the house. You've got schedule needs. Construction firms usually don't take uh, liability for schedule issues when it revolves about, around things outside their control, such as uh, adverse weather, hurricanes. Maybe it could be... Um, Code changes, design changes that, that impact the design. They have to redesign. You've got delays. If you're an owner, you may need that space, and you have to contend with that. Uh, we talked There may be cost overruns because the architect that you hired didn't get everything cranked in properly into the drawings. There could be unknowns. You hire a soul's, uh consultant company to go do borings to figure out what's underground. They miss the fact because of where they put the borings that there's some old fuel tanks down there and it stops the job, causes extra cost. You may be in an existing facility that all of a sudden your existing operations are hurt because of what's going on. At the end of the day, you need occupancy and use. So for an owner, they've got a lot of issues that they have to contend with. And so the challenges for here's the, here's the slide on the challenges for the uh, for the CM, which I don't have up here, so we'll just kind of wing it right now. But as a CM, let's go back here. As a CM, what you're trying to do is you're trying to achieve your fee on the project. You're trying to get the job done on time. You have an owner that has all these other issues going on that are outside of your control. But that owner is looking at you to be able to get done on time so that you can get your people moved in or you can get your research started or you can get your manufacturing started. So you have to be able to figure out how do I take care of my owner in spite of all these issues that are coming up. And that's where the challenge comes and when you're into a situation where you're trying to manage a large project, you have so many outside influences that are either impacting you as a construction organization or that are impacting the owner. But at the end of the day, how you deal with those issues and whether or not you can help the owner achieve his end goal is the memory that that owner is going to have of you. And we've had some projects that we had one problem after another, after another, after another. Some were caused by the owner. Some were caused by the architect. Some was caused by the, municipal company, uh, the municipalities. Some we caused... But the thing is is that the owner loved us because at the end of the day, he needed to be in by a certain date, and we got him in there. Now, we had to go through some extraordinary actions. He agreed to pay us for some of that extraordinary actions. We had to resequence the work. But basically, our job from the management side was to say, we're going to figure out a way how to take care of you. You still have the issue, I have to make money on the job too. And that's that balance of how do you, how do you try and work through that? So having said all that, if you have a business, either construction or engineering, how do you market your firm? What kind of clients do you uh, go after? What message do you send? There is an engineering firm up in uh, Timonium, Maryland, and I love those guys because they have a sense of humor. And just listening to me for a while, would you think that I would get along with them? Yes. Yes. Their marketing message is, we're no worse than the other guys. They had it in print. They got a lot of work because owners liked the fact that they were, they were honest, they were, but that was their motto. The president of the firm had it on their business card. I thought it was a little bizarre, but these guys grew like crazy. It was unbelievable. Uh, is there a niche that you want to be in? You know, if you're a construction organization, what's your delivery method, design, build, CM? Uh, Design uh, or just a hard bid, is there a market type, higher ed, commercial, industrial, geographic area, do you just stay in Raleigh, do you stay in the Carolinas, do you stay in the United States? And then what you have to figure out is what are you good at? How many of you are good at everything? Very good. All right. There's usually a few things that we are good at. And so as a company and as a business, if you're running a business, you have to figure out what are you good at. And then you also have to figure out this market is going to change because whatever it is today is going to be different tomorrow. And you have to think about how am I going to solve my potential customers' needs because that's where the proof is in the pudding. An ice cream shop solves what kinds of needs. You're hungry, okay? Um, a a uh, carpet cleaning business solves what kind of need? Somebody's got dirty carpets. When you're in the service industry as construction and engineering is, you have to figure out what needs do I wanna solve because you can't solve everybody's needs and that's where you start focusing in on the, uh, on the business side of your business. But who solves those needs? I have a business. We do $200 million a year. Who in my organization solves the needs of our customers? Everyone. Who said that? You're right. You know what? That was worth two bucks. You didn't read that either. You're right. Everyone. I don't. Could you give that to her, please? Thank you. All right. Everyone solves those needs. And what I want to talk a little bit about is new employees. What value do you bring? Because I really don't solve anybody's needs. I'm there, I have the vision, I do some coaching, I do some mentoring, uh, I come put people to sleep at five o'clock in the afternoons, but it's all of our people. That's who solves our customers' needs. And so do you bring experience? How many of you have a lot of experience in the field that you're going into? Not much. Uh, relationship. If you have a relationship, Ashley, Ashley had a relationship here at Duke connected with the Smart House. That helped us. That, that was an opportunity for us to be able to get back into that door. You may have some special knowledge or specialization, but I would tell you the value that you're going to bring as a new graduate is going to be what? What's the What's the most important value you're gonna bring? Who said, who said attitude first? Very good. I wish, if you're gonna answer, I wish you'd be closer to the ground. That's only a dollar because you read it. All right, it's attitude. And I call it fire in the belly. It's that desire to learn, it's the desire to excel, it's the passion that you have. Um, How many of you have ever been on a date with somebody and the person that you were with just didn't seem too stinking interested in the evening? (laughs) Um, For those of you that raised your hand, did you go out with them again? Generally not. But I'll tell you, it's, it's the attitude that separates the winners from the folks that are hanging on. And in every organization, you have people that have got the get up and go, the desire, the attitude, the passion, the I'll take care of it, I'll dig into it, let me go find out. Those people are the ones that excel. I don't care whether it's a restaurant Kohl's Department Store, an engineering firm, Procter & Gamble, Bovis. I don't care what organization it is. It's the attitude and it's that desire. And I caught fire in the belly. Looking at me, obviously, I've done well because I've had a lot of fire in the belly. Uh, hopefully, you guys can do that without the physical attributes. And actually, that's not true. I had laparoscopic surgery a few years ago, and the air just never came out. So be careful, but it's that it's that passion. It's the passion that separates the winners from the hanger honors. And hanger honors are folks that they do their job, they're okay. You say, I'm glad I have this person, but they're not your stars. And I'll tell you, I've got to brag on Ashley. Ashley's been a rising star because she's had that passion. And as a matter of fact, when I interviewed Ashley, I was trying to figure out, is this passion real? Or did she somehow go to some interview in class and, Ashley, did I give you a pretty tough interview? Yeah, you gave me a pretty tough interview. He, he asked me at the end, he goes, okay. Oh, too, and I'm not going to say what he said. <laughs> but the thing is, is that Ashley, everything Ashley said in her interview has come true and she really is one of our, our rising stars at Bobus here at Raleigh. What we look for is, when we interview, is what's one of the first things we look for? Attitude. You said that first. It's the dollar. Here, I'm not going upstairs here. We look at academic history. Um, we, look at, we look at your grades, but we look at your grades in conjunction with What else have you been doing while you're going to school? If you're a C student and you're not really involved in very many extracurricular activities, don't have a separate job, don't have any real prior experience, probably barking up, at least in our organization, probably won't make it to the interview stage. I know companies that are into hiring uh, high-octane, high-professional, potential stars, that's what we look for. Prior experience is important because it indicates a willingness to learn kind of at an intern level, a willingness to kind of get your hands dirty. When we hire people that are in the construction business, if they've been a carpenter labor, or something like that, it gives them practical, hands-on experience. We look for that. We look for that experience that's going to add value uh, when they come to work for us. And the other thing that we look at is core values. Honesty, integrity... The ability to work in a team, collaboration, those are all qualities that we look for in employees because those are the cornerstones of our organization. And we have a vision and we have our core values. So what we try and find are people that align with our core values so that as they move forward in their careers, they're gonna gonna actually be able to blossom and bloom in the environment that we have. Are there any questions on this? Okay, what do y'all think? Yes, who said yes? Very good. You know, eventually my money runs out, and I'll tell you, y'all have been more active, so I'm not sure where I'm taking my wife to dinner tonight. (laughs) Um, when, When you go pursue an employer, Let me just, this is not part of the thing, but let me just, we're going to talk about this. When you go pursue an employer, you need to know something about that company and what they do and what they stand for, but I'm also going to tell you, your, your first impression that you make with that company is important. Can you stand up for a minute? Hi. Hi. Pleased to meet you. What's wrong with that? No eye contact, uh, no eye contact, not much of a firm handshake. Are you really nice to meet Pardon? I say, are you really nice to meet them? For me, I am because I enjoy people. So that's not really any BS. If you're not nice, for me, I enjoy meeting everybody because there's a lot of different people in the world. And after a while, I come to like I don't like some of those people and some of them I do like. But in terms of meeting people, I love doing that. <clears throat> what Ashley's talking about, about being aggressive, is the fact that people are gonna, employers are gonna want people that wanna come to work for them. They're gonna want people that are interested in being part of their culture, part of their business. It goes back to attitude, that fire in the belly, and If you're not aggressive with a potential employer, what's going to happen is you're going to come across as kind of take it or leave it. You know, I don't really need a job. I interviewed somebody one time that had been in the business for three or four years that said that he was looking to kind of take a rest. And he was looking for a job where he could be comfortable and not be overstressed and not have to work too hard. And so that interview, after 15 minutes, we were done (laughs) because I don't need people like that. Uh, it's, it's how you project out that makes the difference. And if you think about your personal lives, whether you're a male or female, how you project out to the people that you want to get interested in you, that kind of determines the response. Uh, forget about the, well, I'm not going to show them interest because you know, I'm going to play hard to get and all the other stuff. But if you, if you show interest in somebody, then that's going to be reciprocated. I know that when I was much younger and just getting started in the business, the, uh, there was a crotchety old guy that worked at that company and that, that company was a global company also but it was on a smaller scale from Bovis and nobody liked to work for this individuals. Basically we got out of college and we were in uh, cubicles doing work and it was entry level work. And I really didn't like it, but I knew I had to uh, tough through it um, until I get to some level where, you know, I walk around in a suit and don't do much. And I'm still waiting to get to that level. But um, he's, nobody wanted to work for him. And for some reason, he always kept asking for me to do work for him, and I did. And he wound up spending a lot of extra time with me. And he would rake me over the coals. We'd stay there until 7 o'clock at night sometimes, 8 o'clock at night. He would have me redo things. And I finally looked at him and said, Carl, why are you spending all this time with me? He said, because you're one of the few people that's interested in learning. And if you're interested in learning, I'm here to help teach you. Now, to make a long story short, uh, 15 years later, he was with a part of the company that shut down and he came to work for me. We were friends at church, but it was a little awkward for me because here's the guy that took me as a, as a kid that didn't know anything right out of college, and he's working for me. And we had long conversations about it, and because we were friends, we, we worked our way through it. But you have to show that desire. If you show the desire, it'll come to you. Uh, are y'all interested in talking about the different kinds of jobs or career tracks within a construction organization? Is that a yes? Is that a you're doing that to be nice or you really want to? Okay. Because this will take another two hours. Okay. We have a whole process within our organization, and you know what? We have people that go out that establish contacts, uh, do cold calls that go to industry association uh, events, go to heart association events, they're on boards, those people are usually business developers and what they do is they help us get in the door, they help establish relationships, these are marketing people, every, every company has somebody like this or people like this. In a construction organization, you know, we try and do the sales so that we do pre-construction and construction, and so we collaboratively between our pre-construction people, our operations people, and our sales people, we try and sell the job to an owner so that we go through the whole process with them. A general contractor that's into the hard bid market generally would get a set of drawings. The business developer would go, make contacts, get on a bid list, get the drawings. Uh, the estimators would come up, would take off all the quantities, price it up, put a price on it, and if you bid it, if you're low, meaning you left the most stuff out from your competitors, you get the job. In what we do in terms of bringing value, pre-construction managers we do estimating, but basically we manage through that pre-construction process until we get to the operational side and we break ground. Now, at Bovis, we have our operations people involved during pre-construction so that we don't have a handoff. And this goes back to the teamwork and collaboration, so that you start the job, you finish the job, you don't have people making decisions on your future when you have to go deal with the owner and get the project built. So we we have project managers, assistant project managers... Those people basically handle the management aspects of the project, the administrative side, the owner relationship. We have project engineers, which is basically our entry level, our training ground, to kind of work through that. And then we actually have then somebody that goes out and physically builds it, which is our superintendents. How many of you are interested in going the construction route? All right. Are y'all interested in being project managers or estimators or superintendents? Pro- Any superintendents, estimators, is that what, pardon? Not by choice. choice. Alright, well let me just give you a tip for you guys that are going into construction. Estimators they used to say are a dime a dozen, it's hard to find them now. They're in demand, and a good estimator is worth its weight in gold. Uh, They're worth a million bucks. And I had a million bucks to give, but nobody wanted to do that. Why are you funny? I I do. I keep it in my wallet. Uh, Superintendents, that is a... Where is my million dollars? It's right here. Is that a million? Yeah, it looks like a million. Okay, it's a million. Um, by the time I go through my million-dollar bill, what did I just do? By the time I go through my million-dollar bill and all the cutting up and you want to use the stolen credit card and I finally flash my $2 bill, they just don't buy into it. The $2 bill's real. Superintendents, the last company I was with, we operated all across the United States. Uh, they had a superintendent and he made more money than most of the executive vice presidents. He was a pain in the neck. He didn't follow any of the rules. Uh, He always cut a lot of side deals, always went against company policy. But then when there was a two or three hundred million dollar project on a tight schedule, they all wanted Dave. Dave made more money than most of the executive vice presidents. And so for those of you going into construction, you know, you might want to think about that because that is highly valued. For those of you that are going into other businesses, you know, follow your passion. That's, that's the best advice I can give you, but I will also tell you that there are some routes in those other businesses that are just like superintendents in the construction business that you can wind up having a lot of fun and be uh, compensated very well for it. So it's something to think about. And then the other thing is um, safety. Our safety manager on our job sites is one of the most important people that we have. And the reason why they are one of the most important people that we have is that we have a strong, strong desire to make sure that everybody goes home at night safe. We call it incident and injury free How many of you have seen the pictures from New York when they were building the uh, high-rises in the 30s? They had the iron workers sitting on the beams. All right, acceptable losses at that time were uh, one person per floor. So if it's a 40-story building and you lost 40 people, you were doing okay. If you only lost 20 people, you're doing phenomenal. We have 7,500 employees. You saw the number of countries uh, that we're in, last year we had 12 fatalities and we said, that's not acceptable. And so we're on a strong incident and injury-free journey uh, and that's been in place for about two or three years, but basically our whole drive is we want everybody to come home at night. Uh, We're now starting a sustainability journey, which Ashley's part of also, and that is because we have decided as a company We want to be part of the Dow, it's it's called the Dow 300, but basically we plan on taking the lead in sustainability because we think it's the right thing to do. The thing on safety is we did it because it was the right thing to do. And so I don't know 20 years from now or 30 years from now, I don't know what those hot topics are gonna be. I know that we will evolve. I shared with you a little bit before you know, I used to have a slide rule, and no, I wasn't a nerd, but that's how you, you, we didn't have calculators. I remember when the first PC hit our job site, and it's like, what does this thing do? And everybody said, oh, it does Lotus. And at that time, the spreadsheet program that was in the RAGE was Lotus 123, which is now Excel. But, you know, we sent men to the moon on a computer that filled up a room that basically had the computing power of a 286. You think about how far we've come in the last 20 or 30 years. The thing is, is that for all of you moving forward, 30 years from now, there's no telling what our environment or technology is going to be like. Uh, things that we take for granted now that are not very good, um, you know, we'll, the, world, the world will shape things differently. I'm convinced we'll be in a lot better place, not a worse place, and y'all are part of that. But for me, as an older person, uh, you know, I've seen a tremendous a lot, a tremendous amount of change, and I think you will see a tremendous amount of changes as as, uh, you move forward. Skill sets. What I understand this is an engineering management program, and you're getting a little bit of a blend of business and technical and management, is that correct? Uh, When you first graduate, generally, unless you go into a pure sales role, what you generally wind up doing is you are immersed in a lot of technical issues. And you're good at those technical issues. And you know what? Coming in entry level, they have you do technical stuff. But as you're working through the technical stuff, what happens is, Business things pop up. You're looking at something that you're having an outside consultant do, a subcontractor do, or you have a contract with a client, and all of a sudden now somebody's pressing you about the business side. Because most businesses are there to do what? Make money. money. Nonprofits are there to do what? Break even. All right? So, somehow, money always gets into it. You just cannot get away from it. So for those of you that are interested in a very technical career, uh, you can do that, but at some point in time as you move up that management chain, something's going to pop up about, we're a business here to make money, or at least break even. With that, what happens is that you start to realize that there's legal things. i got contracts. What does the contract say? And then once you start getting into that, you're thinking about risk management. If you go out, let me equate this to a construction company. You've got a job site, somebody erects scaffolding so that people can get up into the building and work on things on the outside of the building or you may erect it inside the building. If I erect it and somebody else uses it and something happens, then who's responsible? So now you gotta go, if somebody else wants to use it, you gotta go get a waiver from them. Just like they're podcasting this, I had to sign a little waiver today, selling all my selling all my rights and my soul away for, for uh, you guys to podcast this. But after a while what happens is you get to the realization that there's something more than just the technical business, legal risk management side And raise your hands if you know the answer. What does it all boil down to? Raise your hands. Yes. People. People. Very good. That's a dollar because you read it. Could you pass that down, please? All right. People. People is what drives the business. Our business at Bovis, and I consider it my business, is driven by people. When you... All of you go out to work, whatever company you go to work for, you're going to drive that firm's business. And it won't be you individually, it will be you along with all your colleagues that drive that business. And so what you need to realize is that whoever either owns the business or is running that business is counting on you to make the right decisions. And they're there to help you, but people drive the business. It's not... Fixed assets, it's not money in the bank, although you have to have money in the bank, but you can't survive without people. And people, if they're important to driving your business and keeping it running, what are they also important to for you to be able to sustain your business? What do you count on your people to help you do? Raise your hand if you know. Yes. Sell. Sales. Sales. Brilliant. You guys, I can tell this is a graduate class. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I told you I was going to add value. And so I guess for some of you, have have any of you gotten value out of this discussion today? Not enough to retire on, but you've gotten value. I count on my people to sell. We our business in the construction business, we go out and we go builds. And then I have to go take those people, have to go build someplace else. Now, in the case of Duke, we've been out here for 12 years building. And we we value that relationship because we're constantly doing something out here. But the reason why we're doing something out here is because our people take care of our client. And so when either on the university side or on the medical center side, plus that school, want something done, we try and take care of them because we know that that's how we're able to go get our next project. Uh, In some cases we may go after a project with a new client. They check references. They don't check my references as the leader of the office. They check the references of the people that are actually going to do the work. And so you can't burn any bridges. You have to take care of your customers If you work in a... How many of you plan on going into the food industry? None, I'm not surprised. If you work in a restaurant and you're the hostess, if you can't get people seated, and if you can't get them something to drink, depending on what that process flow chart is in that establishment, people are just gonna get tired. They may eat there once, but they're not coming back. If you go to a restaurant, and you've been there a number of times, and you have one hiccup bad experience, would you probably go back? Probably. But the first time, if it was a bad experience, would you go back? No. It's your people that drive that. It's not necessarily the food. It's not the quality of the food. It's not the what kind of food it is. It's generally your people. When you come out, Ashley went through this. Where's the bathrooms? Uh, When I went to work for Bogus, we had so many different passwords and usernames, I kept them in a little pad. And we now have one. But for older people like me, I don't need separate passcodes and usernames for the phone, my cell phone, logging onto the computer. We have three different web things. We've consolidated that. But company-specific. Then you get through... Technical issues. I got technical issues. How do I solve them? How do we solve them? I got workload issues. Do I tell my boss I don't have time? There's no way I'm going to do that. You know, I just came out of Duke. I got this high power education, got a graduate degree. I'm not going to tell him I can't handle it. Hey, bring it on. Um, You got business issues. You're learning about the business. You don't necessarily understand the business. You're just getting into it. You have those issues to deal with. And then you have chemistry issues. You can't not get along with the people you work with. You can't not get along with your boss. You don't want to not get along with your boss's boss. And so you have to deal with all these things. And then the other thing that's always a challenge for employees is ethics issues. That should never never be an issue, but for some reason it always is. You go to work for a company, they preach honesty, integrity, and you're sitting there, but you've got to make a profit. You've got to make money on our jobs. So you're sitting in your office or on a job site or in a trailer or in a customer's office and you've got this looming over you. And what do you do? Or you have something peculiar that comes up. And my advice has always been, And I believe in this with all my heart, is do the right thing. And I have preached that ever since I've been in a management position. And people say, how do you know when you're doing the right thing? And what I say is that if whatever it is that you're thinking about doing, if it winds up being on the front page of the newspaper, will you be okay with it? If you are, go ahead and do it. But if you don't think you'd want to see it on the front page of the newspaper, don't do it. And that's how I define and that's how I work through and help people work through ethics issues. It's the front page of the newspaper and I preach that. I want you to take that with you because it'll keep you out of trouble. Uh, Most people want to do a good job, they want to do the right thing, but they're confronted with some ethics, it's a situational ethics issue, and they're all tore up about what do I do. And, and my advice is just do the right thing. If you made a mistake, fix it. Tell somebody about it. Go get some help fixing your mistake. And always, in all that you do, have honesty and integrity. There's not a slide on here. Uh, <clears throat> a number of years ago, I went to uh, University of Virginia for one of the executive programs, and it was the typical get-up-early-in-the-morning, go to class, get case studies, work in small groups, familiar, does that sound familiar to y'all? And uh, you just working work day and night, you go to bed at midnight. Now, we will tell you one thing, I, let me share a technique with you. How many case studies do y'all do in groups? <clears throat> there was one group that decided that they were going to go out drinking the night before instead of working on their case study. And so, I don't know. I think one of the professors found out about it, and so he called on the ringleader of that group, because he also knew he was the one that uh, encouraged them all to go out drinking. And so he said, "Mr. Uh, we'll, we'll just make up a name, Mr. Church." He said, uh, "What's your solution for this?" You know, he was talking about the case study. He said, "What's the solution?" He said, "Professor, I would love to be able to explain it, but Miss Wainwright would probably like to do that instead." and he put her right on the spot. So if you don't know, pass it off to one of your classmates. It's very effective. That professor called on Miss Wainwright, and she had to bumble her way through it. Towards the end of the program, they came, and they had us fill out a lot of paperwork. And on that paperwork, it centered around what do you want to be remembered for when you die? Now, I did this 21 years ago. I remember the year. And it had a profound impact on me because basically I was a workaholic. I've always had a demanding job. I feel like in my career, I've risen through the ranks because I was creative, because I worked hard, because I had that fire in the belly. I had that passion, that desire. But, you know, it made me stop and think because the answers I wrote down all had to do about things that had nothing to do with work, that I was honest, that I was a good father, actually I wasn't a dad then, but anticipating kids, I was a good husband, uh, that people could count on me, and that helped me shape my life, and I know my wife and I, because she was in the construction business too until we had kids, Uh, she always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, we actually adopted two children. They had some special needs, so that, that all worked out fine. While I'm on that topic, I'm probably the luckiest guy because she loves football, she loves basketball, and she loves construction. And so our anniversary is in the middle of January, and that's usually when World of Concrete has their big exposition. And so she's excited when we do that for our anniversary weekend. And that may sound bizarre to some of you, but I'm just lucky. Uh, she can't back a boat in, but she can do an awful lot. But anyway, it made me think about my life and what I was doing. And y'all are getting out soon, and you're going to start on your careers, and your careers are important. But I would encourage you to, to try and strike some kind of balance between your family life and your professional life. And think about what you want to be remembered for. Because when you exit here and you go out into the work world, you're actually forging your reputation in life. You already have a reputation now. But I've seen a lot of people really, at the end of the day, say, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have done this. Um, You know, you can shape, you can, excuse me, you can shape your life by how you conduct yourself and where you put your priorities. And so I still work hard, but, you know, I found a little more balance in my life. I found something that works for our family. But I would encourage you to do that, to think about what you want to be remembered for. And if what you want to be remembered for is being the best engineer, the best whatever, that's fine. But think through what that is. Because at the end of the day, I love the... I love the projects I've been involved in. Uh, These projects have been exciting. Uh, I was involved in some of the launch pads down at the Cape, had the opportunity to crawl around underneath the uh, launch pads, convention centers, sports arenas. Uh, The largest project I was involved in was a $2 billion uh, university for 19,000 students in uh, Riyadh. And that was during the height of the Saudi building boom. It was actually $3.5 billion, but it was over budget. And that was a competitive hard bid. We joint ventured with a French company. Uh, I learned a little French, spent some time in France. Uh, billion dollars low, but we had a lot of qualifications. Uh, so I, I've i had the opportunity to be involved in a lot of exciting stuff, but at the end of the day, it's going to be my family, uh, some of my other beliefs. That's what's, That's what is going to be important to me. I encourage you as you go off in your life, enjoy what you do, have the passion, but just remember there's more to life than just this or any other business that there is. And I know it maybe sounds ironic for me to say this, but you gotta have some balance. And you know, our business is pretty tough and you spend a lot of hours, and I tell people you spend a lot of hours, but you gotta achieve that balance. And so, that's my little preachy advice. But do you guys have any questions? i so you guys can ask afterwards, too. But I okay. To thank you. Thanks. I don't forget to check the sign up sheet, too. Seriously, that was great.